All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Launch AMA. I'm your host, as always, Sam Chan. I'm the VP of Operations here at Launch. And I'm joined today by Daryl Kopke. Welcome, Daryl. Nice to be here. Awesome. It's uh, we, We've been anticipating this for a minute, so I'm really excited to, to get you here today. Um, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit, uh, maybe share a little bit about you know what you're currently doing, a little bit about how you got into entrepreneurship. Sounds good. Um, I'm, I'm a 30-year vet of the apparel industry, having started in my early 20s, um, original, originally in, in, in retail uh, at Future Shop when it expanded into Quebec in my early 20s. And then I moved to Hong Kong and I became a zipper salesman. And so that's when I really learned the apparel trade, um, working uh, two years in Hong Kong, two years setting up the North American sales office uh, in Vancouver. And my first week uh, in moving to Vancouver in 1997, uh, I was on an airplane to a trade show uh, in Vegas, and I sat next to Chip Wilson. And Chip, the founder of Lululemon, was still the owner of West Beach at the time. And uh, and West Beach, um, you know, needed zippers. I was a zipper salesperson, and so um, you know, we we connected. He became my my customer. And then he, even on that first day, was telling me about this idea for this new company that he had. And uh, I was the original zipper supplier to Lululemon when the company was founded in 1998. I went back, did my MBA at UBC Solder, uh, and uh, kept in touch with Chip. And uh, just about a year after my uh, MBA, uh, the company was still one store, just approaching a million in sales. And he said... uh, you know, why don't you come join this thing and and uh, and see what you can do to grow it? And uh, I was there for eight years and took it to about two hundred million through IPO. Uh, was running Asia at the time uh, that I left about twelve years ago, uh, and um, yeah, it was a good wild ride. I mean, we could talk about specific stories in response to your questions, but uh, after that, I ran an incubator for for-profit social impact corporations for five years called Institute B. Uh, and uh, B corporations are those who are committed equally to deliver delivering social impact as equal priority delivering profit to shareholders, uh, and it's um, it's uh, formalized uh, in affiliation with a nonprofit called B Lab. Uh, and um, you know, back ten years ago it was early days, but uh, now it's 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 a much bigger uh, concept. Um, then the Wilsons enticed me back. Uh, into the dark side and I became the founding CEO of Kitten Ace. And I did that for a couple of years, uh, grew it from zero to about 50 million run rate in 18 months, 55 stores in five countries. And that was a different experience because, you know, we, we, we didn't have budget constraints and, you know, we, we could fly around and on chips plane to get to different sites and, and things like that. So it was a different experience. Um, when it became clear that Kitten Ace uh, in its current format was not viable, uh, I, I, uh, I basically was let go and decided that I would become a, a professor uh, and uh, came to UBC Solder about seven years ago uh, as an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship and innovation. And uh, at the same time, the Creative Destruction Lab uh, was be- moving to UBC Solder from from Rotman and uh, uh, we, we became the expansion team and uh, I, I helped support its expansion across the country. Uh, and uh, since then, have have stayed here, stayed put, and uh, and founded another company, a stretchy suit company called Adelhard, um, that is now looking to uh, become the the only negative carbon, uh, you know, 
bio-based suiting company uh, in the world. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's been a, a lot of ups and downs and happy to discuss about lots of different things. That's that's an incredible resume. And, and there's, I feel like I had like five more questions from you just explaining there in the last, last 30 seconds, but we'll, we'll see how many we can get through a uh, reminder for those that are just tuning in. Um, if you do have any questions for Dale, feel free to just pop them in the chat and I'll try to get to as, as many as I can, as we keep talking here. But one of the things, Daryl, when I was kind of doing some background research, trying to kind of come up with some prep for, yes, we do prep for, for these sessions. Um, I found myself in trouble because I found myself shopping. So, so, you know, from, from Lululemon, Kitnase, Edelhard, like what kind of keeps drawing you back to, I guess, specifically active wear, if we're going to define a segment, um, is it just like a personal interest or is there something challenging about that industry that, that you see like that's, that's still got opportunity? Um, well, it's, it's a massive industry, so there's always going to be opportunity. Um, but it's a very fractured industry and it's extremely difficult industry. Um, what brings me back to the industry at this point is a combination of insanity and experience. Um, it's, uh, I often tell people when I have a meeting with an, an entrepreneur in the apparel space tomorrow, uh, that, uh, apparel is a, a really awful industry, um, especially for new emerging brands. Um, it's it's one that the the power is not in the brand uh, in the early days. The power is at the factory, and the power is in the fabric companies uh, because there's minimum order quantities um, that are, is really prohibitive unless you're really doing really small small lots or um, or capsules. Uh, and it's an industry that you're published, uh, you're sort of punished for being successful. So if you sell a hundred of a unit and then get orders for a thousand, you have to finance that. The cash cycle is up to 18 months in some cases, where you have to finance the fabric, then the manufacturing, you know, the, the delivery. And if you're a wholesale model, then basically you are, um, you're waiting up to 120 days after you deliver to collect from retailers, if you can collect. So you become a collection machine. Direct to consumer changes that dynamic, um, but the supply chain is still a supply chain. So um, it is, um, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky industry and it's one that needs to be reinvented, uh, needs to be disrupted, uh, much like Tesla disrupted uh, automobiles. I think there's an opportunity to disrupt apparel using technology, disintermediation, new bio-based fabric opportunities, new body scanning opportunities, uh, and, you know, uh, assorted, um, assorted new channels to discover. The thing about apparel is that people like to touch it, right? It's a tactile industry, and that makes it especially difficult because you can, you know, you can order something online, but it, it might not drape well, or the fabric might be itchy or you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, stretch as much as you thought. Like it's such a tactile experience that brand loyalty is the most important parameter to repeat online sales um, for direct to consumer. So um, I, I came back and at this point, 30 years in, I, I, I believe I know how to play the game. Um, but, you know, for all you software people out there, 
you know, you, you, you don't have inventory or negative cash positions and, and apparel, especially as opposed to say, uh, CPG or, or, you know, uh, other skincare or candles, uh, our skew count is through the roof. You might have a, a shirt like this, but there's seven sizes and six colors and that's 42 SKUs and you have to guess. The largest retailer by revenue in the world for apparel is TJX Group, uh, which is Winners, Marshalls, TJ Maxx, etc. And they do 42 billion US dollars in revenue based on the mistakes of the apparel industry. Amazing. That's just that's just how it works. So. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Um, holding in just for a second on Vancouver, because I know there's a bunch of entrepreneurs here from Vancouver, um, also a couple that are looking into the space. Because like I think when we look at apparel on a map, you know, there's there's obviously Lululemon, there's Aritzia, there's also some like upstarts like Vessies and their native shoes and things like that. Like, do you and it almost feels like as a region, we're kind of punching above our weight class a little bit. Is there anything specific about this region that you feel like, why are people going through such a hard path as you kind of described it? And I think for, for folks like, like you just mentioned for software folks or people that have integrations or looking to do business with these types of apparel companies, like is, what is the way to gain an advantage from that? So, you know, um, uh, let me tell you the origin story of Creative Destruction Lab because there's a parallel to, to answering your question. You know, um, uh, CDL's uh, Seed Venture Development Program for massively scalable science and technology-based ventures um, that exists for the betterment of the human condition. And so we're a mentorship-driven program that was founded 10 years ago by an economics professor at Rotman School of Man Management. And he started it because he analyzed Silicon Valley uh, and he wanted to determine why does the Valley dominate from a tech entrepreneurship perspective? And the answers may surprise you that the answer was that there, there was no better or more ideas from the Valley, right? They don't have more ideas or IP. They don't have more capital than New York and Israel and Asia, right? So it's not access to ideas or capital. Um, but what he determined was CDL, uh, sorry, the Silicon Valley dominated in tech entrepreneurship because there was a flywheel effect of reinvested seasoned entrepreneurial judgment that um, could support the next generation of founder, whether that be as a venture capitalist, as an advisor, as a, as a mentor, uh, as a co-founder, uh, or, you know, funding of Stanford engineering or Berkeley. And so, um, there was a flywheel effect of reinvested judgment. And that's what CDL is. We're a marketplace for judgment. Um, the On one side of the marketplace are entrepreneurs who've owned, operated, and exited ventures, uh, some scientific investigators to help with tech validation and business school students. And on the other side of the marketplace are science and technology-based founders that are looking to commercialize their research or technology uh, into commercial entities to positively impact the human condition. I'll get into more of that later, but the parallel to Vancouver is that's what happened here. If you think about in the early days, there was Please Mom and Robies and, you know, Lulu, Aritzia. Aritzia started because of Hills Dry Goods and Carisdale's the Hill family uh, and Mountain Equipment Co-op and so many, so many others. And now 
there, there's a, a new generation because people who have been at the forefront of the apparel trade, technical apparel trade, aren't reinvesting their time, energy, and mentorship into the next wave of, of startup entrepreneur. Um, and so I think that's why we have, uh, we're punching above our weight because um, the apparel industry is incredible and, and retail is incredibly incestuous. Um, there's a lot of people with a lot of experience that can go from company to company and then help the next generation come up. Um, so hopefully that gives you some context in terms of how I see that. For sure. And, and I think obviously when we look at, look at your resume and someone that's listening, that's looking in, um, would you want to share a little bit about your experience while you were at Lululemon? Maybe, maybe the kind of stories that, that as you guys, you know, built it from, from, I think you said one store when you began to, to, you know, going IPO, what are some things that, that I think might be interesting to share? Yeah, it's, look, it's, it's, it's hard to capture, you know, building one of the most Canadian, uh, the successful Canadian ventures in history. Lululemon sells more apparel than Adidas now. Um, you know, it's seven, I eight, believe it offline. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. Um, but the early days, certainly when there were six of us, uh, at head office, there was, you know, Chip, uh, his his wife, uh, Summer, the designer, the production person, logistics person, the store manager, and I, uh, the general manager. And uh, when the store would get busy, uh, Deanne, the store manager, would yell upstairs, "It's busy!" And then we'd all run downstairs and and fold pants and and help serve uh, our guests. Um, the the interesting thing about Lululemon in those days is um, it we had a rambunctious brand. We had a non-conformist brand. Uh, it's not so today, but back then uh, there was controversial ads in, in, the, in, in the Georgia Strait newspaper. Uh, when we were opening our first Robson Street, when the, the second store in Vancouver, the Robson Street store, um, Chip put an ad in, the, in Georgia Strait announcing that the, the, the first 50 people to show up naked would, would get a free outfit. Uh, we changed it to 30 because we figured it would be too many people. Uh, we couldn't afford to give away that much product, you know? And so this was October, 2003. Uh, sorry, October, 2002. And, uh, and so basically we, um, at 8 AM in the morning on this October 4th, four degrees outside, all these people got naked and, and just poured into our, our store to get their free outfits. And, we broke sales records that day uh, because we had the audacity to do something outrageous, you know, uh, and that continued over and over again. Uh, we would um, do yoga, red lights, um, you know, that virality. We did not have a marketing department. Almost until, you know, tens of millions of revenue, we didn't have a marketing department. So what does that mean? That means that our guest experience was our marketing. Right. And I think that's been lost in a lot of industries in the last few years when there was so much money out there that we forget about the first principles of, of, of companies. Uh, we, we forget about market validation. We forget about value proposition, margins, cash flow, um, because we were never rewarded by it from our, our, vent, our venture capital partners in the last few years. Right. They were, they were, looking at any kind of core metric, why Combinator is a, is a master of that, of, of the valuation bump based on core metrics. And the, the, the problem is the core metrics doesn't, doesn't necessarily correlate to first principles of business. 
you know, and it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't show repeatable uh, revenue, which people care about now. Right. They, they only didn't care about it in the last three, four years. They, they cared about it before and now they care about it again. Um, and so in the early days of Lululemon, it was all about creating a tribe, creating a community. Uh, and uh, I think the interesting perspective and when I give lectures of what Lulu did versus other companies is I drop, I, I, I talk about disruption. When you think about the word disruption is often overused. Uh, I see people disrupting things all the time, except they're not. Um, uh, you know, we're disrupting this industry, but you don't have any sales. So you're not really, right? I mean, there's you have an attention to, and that's cool. But it's an overused buzzword, but let's talk about it. Because disruption only happens if the world is different after your product or technology. Okay. You can have the best technology in the world. And we see it all the time. We deal with hundred, a hundred ventures every year at Creative Destruction Lab with fantastic technology. Unless humans behave differently and consume and transact, you have no disruption. So I would like to convey to you that disruption is not actually a technological problem to solve. Disruption is a human problems, uh, human problem to solve. Humans need to behave differently and consume differently than prior to disruption. So how did that manifest for Lululemon? You can picture the yogini wearing all black lycra tights with a yoga mat under her arm, uh, a latte in her other hand, and walking with flip-flops. You can imagine that person in Vancouver. That didn't exist before Lululemon, right? We created that. And what happened was we disrupted the denim industry because that athleisure took over from denim as the preferred apparel um, uh, choice for many demographics. Okay. And that was a massive, massive disruption. So humans behave differently because of it. So you think about why humans change behaviors and it's not rational. Right. No, nothing is rational about how we consume as humans. And we forget about that. Why would 50 people line up to take off their clothes to get a piece of a little fabric that somehow is worth $70 because it has a little logo on it? That's not rational, right? Somehow that is worth taking off your clothes in public and walking into a store in order to get a couple of pieces of cloth. We're not a rational species. The watch you wear, the car you drive, what you aspire to have, what you, where you aspire to live is not rational. And so if we, you know, at business schools, we teach strategy and we teach Porter's five forces. We teach, you know, Clayton Christensen and, and uh, lean startup methodology and all that cool stuff. But the, the danger we have as business people is forgetting that human beings will line up at eight in the morning, four degrees Celsius to take off their clothes, to get a small piece of apparel. And we forget that, that it's fundamentally irrational. So disruption has to happen by guiding and shepherding humans who are fundamentally irrational, carrying their, all their shit, all their baggage, all their, you know, uh, entrenched orthodoxies, there's human biases in and behave differently. So how, what is the, you know, if you think about zeitgeist, you know, a common conversation happening out there in society, and you think about the last few generations, even millennium, what is the single most 
impactful conversation that exists out there that shaped human behavior. And then you think about, well, probably religion. Okay, well, the interesting thing about religion is that it definitely shapes human behavior. And no matter what your divinity, what you believe spiritually in the context of religion, the behavior, the activity called religion is a human construct. Where you worship, what you sing, what you wear, you know, when you kneel, right? All these different things are created by humans. So if it's a human construct, it can be deconstructed and it can be reconstructed, right? That's the nature of human constructs. So if we know that something like a religion has such so much power in shaping human behavior, that disruption is a human issue, then it would behoove us to contemplate how we as business leaders can shape the future of business by contemplating the merits of how humans interface with something called religion. So can brands and companies have congregations? Sure. Can they have rites of passage? Can they have dogma? Can they have apostles? Right? Can they have you know, aspirational figures? Can they have assembled communities like congregations? Yes. Can they have their own language? For sure. Can they have their own stories? Can they have their own songs? Absolutely. Can those shape human behaviors? Absolutely. So did it work for Lululemon? Yeah, absolutely. We had our own language. You walk into a Lululemon store, you're greeted by Dofi who gives you a six and 13 second rule. Do you know what that means? No, because you're not in the club, right? You, any, any CrossFitters out there? If, you, if you're a CrossFitter and you have your PB and your WOD, you're pretty happy. If you're not a CrossFitter, you don't know what I just said. Language supports culture, right? Supports human change. Rites of passage. You had to, yeah, you had educator foundation training at Lululemon 35 hours before you were even allowed to speak to a guest. Most of that was cultural goal setting uh, about personal professional development and about, you know, uh, fabrics and knowledge, uh, fa uh, you know, subject, subject matter expertise in terms of the product. Uh, but no retailer at the time felt that they could actually afford that. But we did it. Why did we do it? Because we needed to, uh, we needed our guests who were affluent, educated professionals to feel that they could relate to our, our, our floor staff. And so many of our floor staff were university educated. And in order for us to attract and retain university educated, uh, store staff, we need to create a professional development program that can, you know, develop them. What about assembled communities and congregations? Okay. Well, what about yoga studios? The interesting thing about yoga studios and fitness studios is that they are a pre-assembled uh, uh, congregation. They have existing social infrastructure, which assists in virality. And if you approach it with abundance, like, hey, great yoga instructor, uh, I would like to give you outfits and promote your business. Uh, then, you know, we have a mutually beneficial relationship. Well, that actually supports the, uh, the, the acceleration of zeitgeist and disruption. Well, can you do that? Of course you can. If you're a software company, what are the existing assembled communities in your ecosystem? And how can you approach it with abundance? And it's not selling something to them. 
It's about giving something and actually benefiting the community, right? Can, um, you know, stories and language, rites of passage, songs, those are all things relevant to retail experience, but you can have your own dogma, your own apostles. Who are Lululemon's apostles? Well, you walk into a Lululemon store, there's pictures of all these ripped athletes on, on the wall who are local micro-influencers. They're, they're, they're the fitness instructor that you can't book because he's too busy. Or there's a yoga instructor who can sell out at Tuesday at 1 p.m. and have a lineup out, out to yoga studio. That's who we approached, right? We didn't need a marketing department because our guest experience at the shop was our marketing department. And we created this conversation called, hey, how do we, how do we get humans to behave differently? Right. That's what you have access to. You have access to as business leaders is to think about shaping your business in the and the and the uh, by contemplating who are your human stakeholders. The bigger conversation then becomes who are you as a leader of this because you're carrying all your own bullshit into this equation and are you actually listening? Because if you consider that your organization's culture, which you can have as long as you have humans in your organization. Okay, you have a culture, whether you like it or not. And if you consider that your organization's culture is the aggregate sum of all the conversations that are happening in your organization. So if those are toxic and complaining and blaming and passive aggressive, that's your culture. If you're not having direct conversations, if you're avoiding conversations, that's your culture. But if you have a OKR, KPI, metrics driven, performance driven, sprint driven uh, set of conversations, that's your culture. Right. And what we know, research has proven time and again that performance enhancing cultures deliver 100 to 700x times revenue growth. You have a culture, whether you like it or not. Right. Performance enhancing cultures deliver tremendous financial results. Why not choose to shape a performance enhancing culture? And so if you think about culture as the aggregate sum of all the conversations happening in your company, knowing that there's foreground conversations that happen in the front in meetings uh, amongst the team where you're like, we need to get revenues up 10%. We need to close this deal. We need this event to go well. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's background conversations that happen at the water cooler, right? That, you know, it's like, well, is that guy crazy? He's not giving me the resources to get that event driven, Right. Those are background conversations. They also exist every time there's humans in an organization. And so then the question is, which of those two kinds of conversations do you think deliver to you your results? And I would have you consider that it's the background conversations that has you do, that delivers you your results. As leaders, therefore, if conversations are important and there's conversations that you're not actively engaged in listening to, then the conversations you are not having are, are delivering to you your results. And that's just as good as guessing. And nobody guesses their way to success. So the best thing that we can do as leaders of organizations, and I learned this in the early days of Lululemon, is actively listening and engaging with all stakeholders to understand what conversations they're having because you don't get to determine your brand. Your customers determine your brand, but what they say about you, right? And you can shape conversations by delivering rites of passage, by delivering dogma, by delivering apostles and aspirational figures and stories and language and sense and songs and playlists and, uh, uh, you know, mission and vision and all these things that shape conversations for real. You have access to that and leaders, 
but are you doing it? Because your culture and your success will happen to you or you will make it happen. Those are your only two choices. Hello, fellow tech startup founders. I just want to quickly interrupt this episode to tell you about us at launch. If you're looking for a community to help you take your business to the next level, consider joining our Launchpad program. As a member, you'll get access to investor connections, programming, workshops, mentorship, and over $400,000 worth of perks. Also, don't forget to check out our other podcasts, Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes, for expert advice and stories from the tech community in Vancouver and around the world. Visit launchacademy.ca to learn more and start building your dream business today. That's launchacademy.ca. Let me take a moment to shout out our longtime sponsor, Smythe. They are a leading independent VC-based accounting firm specializing in providing financial services and consulting for tech companies across North America. Smythe has supported our program and our alumni throughout their early growth stages by helping them structure and set up their businesses, all the way to helping more established businesses with cross-border operations and M&A. They combine industry knowledge with a proactive, collaborative approach, empowering you to make more informed decisions as your business grows. So if you're looking for a trusted partner to help you drive your business to success, reach out to one of our Launch Academy's longtime mentors, Camelia Ho, for more information about how Smythe can support your growth. You can find Camelia's information on Smythe's website at smythecpa.com. That's S-M-Y-T-H-E-C-P-A.com, along with more information about the various industries they support and the services they provide. It's amazing. Uh, Ravi here, and I feel like you've, you've touched on this a little bit already. He says, loved what you said about rationality consumerism. How does your experience in apparel translate to science tech space, which, if he may, uh, is considered more rational? Yeah, I, I just don't think it's rational. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I think that people pretend it's rational and maybe the scientific process is rational, uh, but nothing about consumption is rational, you know, and, and um you know, like you could have great technology and everyone talks, you know, in the olden days, we talk about VHS versus beta, right? Um, and and there's, you know, then there's Android versus iOS. Uh, and then there's open source versus, not, you know, uh, proprietary. And then there's, you know, open APIs versus closed APIs, right? All of those are rational conversations and who wins are or the ones that cons- consumers speak to here. Now, if you're business to business and you think that that's more rational, I would submit to you that it's not the case as long as humans are making the decision. So what can you do? What do you have access to? You need to validate like everyone else. You need to uh, think about your first principles, right? Who is willing to transact and give you money for your product or service? How much are they willing to give and why? Right. And most scientific founders can't think past value proposition. And so when we're at CDL, my students predominantly in their work with ventures work on go to market strategy because the founders haven't considered what verticals, what industries, what customers, uh, what pricing strategy, you know, what geographic region. Uh, and, you know, we have this, all these buzzwords called Tam Sam Som and, you know, um, all the lean startup acronyms and CAC over LTV and all this kind of stuff, but it's all made up. It's all made up at, at a startup, right? You don't know. You have to test, right? And so this is this is the work. Though. And oftentimes, and people don't realize it, most successful companies take up to four years to validate their MVPs. 
so when you're starting a company, you got to consider that it's going to take you a while to really understand who's going to buy it, why they're going to buy it, what are they going to buy, and how you're going to enter the market. What customers make you money, make you money, and what customers don't make you money, right? What are your margin? What are your unit economics? It takes you a while to figure that out. Lululemon took four years. Most companies I speak to take up to four years to kind of figure it out. I just uh, just uh, on the board of this company called Stoco, took four years. To, to validate and get to a place where now it's on its way, right? And and so the biggest hurdle we have uh, in the startup ecosystem is seed venture money is relatively easy to get for good ideas, uh, but the the seed extensions where you're fixing your mistakes, uh, trying to get the MVP, trying to get the first principles out, um, uh, is hard money. Series A money is easy, five million of revenue and up. Everybody will invest in that. It's de-risked. Right. Uh, but you know, that zero to one, zero to one million, one million to five million, that's hard. That's really hard. Fair enough. And and on that kind of topic, Ravi has another question here that I'll just kind of read out loud. Uh, you mentioned talking about working for for profit as well as making socially responsible. I think he's referring to to more B Corps in your work with with B Enterprise. Yeah. What are the differences from a for-profit in terms of acquiring funding? And seeking and doing business versus, I guess, I guess, um, social responsibility companies. Um, you know, both. If you're going to have a company, you need to understand your first principles. So let's just not talk about that again. Um, so that that happens no matter if you're a social impact or non-social impact company, right? Uh, the conversation often is the conversation often with social social entrepreneurs is. Uh, you know, I, I almost feel bad making money because I'm doing this for impact reasons and that kind of stuff. And, and oftentimes when I engage in conversation on that subject, uh, it is, it is really allowing the connection to be made of the actual impact related to the revenues. And if you can translate your impact into revenues, then it's motivational. For instance, for every million dollars, you're saving 10,000 lives or for every million dollars, you're, you're saving acres of forest or you're sequestering a certain amount of carbon or you know you're 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 doing something of social impact value right and you're not compromising your your morals uh that then gets motivational um anybody who is under 30 almost everybody under 30 cares about the existential cr- climate crisis as highest priority um, certainly the vast majority of students I teach and my children, uh, are of that ilk. Therefore, you can't avoid this conversation. Every company these days have to have a consideration for social impact un- unless you're selling to old white people. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you want young customers, you have to have a conversation called social impact and, and, and the, the, the younger the consumer, the more adept they are at spotting greenwashing and the more they call bullshit, right? Uh, and so I don't think it's a conversation we can ignore anymore. I think that uh, it's going to be integrated. And uh, and one thing that you need to know as leaders is that your entire team doesn't wake up to say, hey, you know what? My CEO founder, that guy needs a new yacht, <sighs> you know? He has a tiny little yacht. It's kind of embarrassing. He's probably laughed at at the country club. I need to work harder so that dude can, you know, flaunt his 
flaunt his 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 boat uh, at the club. Nobody wakes up every morning wanting to make their founder more money. That's not what they get out of bed for. Inherently, humans are selfish enough to understand that there has to be something in it for them. So that could be career development. It could be professional development. It could be acquiring cash, but it could be social impact as well. Right. So your opportunity as leaders is to translate what's in it for me, for all your stakeholders before they even ask. By understanding what what do they want? What are they interested in? What are the opportunities? And how can I translate what I'm up to to positively impact the human condition so that I get people working for a cause? Because just like religion, people want to belong. People want a cause. They want to be part of something. That's how humans work. Your opportunity is to translate what you're doing to positive impact so that people rally around because people love a cause. Now, you can do that to manipulate people. Okay, good for you. Or you can actually do it seriously, right? And that's the opportunity we have. And my, I'd, l- I'd like to submit to you that the younger your consumer, the more that they're going to suss out if you're just greenwashing them. Yeah, and you had mentioned with with Edelhard, like you guys are going to become the first. Um, you said negative carbon. Did I get that right? Yeah the the opportunity we have, you know, the great opportunity I have at UBC at the Creative Destruction Lab is seeing the next generation of bio based fabrics come down the pipe. I've seen mm-hmm. more, fewer than a dozen, and I picked my favorite one, <laughs> and I just said, look, we got to work together. Um, you know, I was selling stretchy suits, and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, most most people watching this aren't even wearing pants, let alone suits. So, you know, the suit business didn't necessarily thrive during COVID uh, and neither did my company. But now the opportunity is coming back to redefine what is comfortable, what is uh, accessible and a new way to think about retail apparel. And so we're partnering with this, this, uh, this bio-based fabric company that takes shrimp waste and seaweed and turns it into fully compostable, compostable at end of life, negative carbon, bio-based, Gore-Tex, Suplex, Elastine. Uh, and it's uh, at unit economics that can support the 99%, not just the 1%. A lot of the, 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 the early bio-based stuff actually has a lot of offsets and a lot of, you know, it really is not that much greener. Uh, it started with bamboo 20 years ago. People are like, bamboo is better than cotton. And that's true, but bamboo is just a rayon that's been chemicaled that has a, a lot of uh, carbon footprint. And the only thing that is better than cotton is that it saves about a thousand liters of, of water. Now that's not nothing, but now we have all these chemicals that are in the, in the water. So um, that's the nature of apparel. So this technology is actually completely negative carbon, uh, agriculture-based inputs, uh, and is a platform technology at the unit economics at the same place as petroleum-based fabrics. And so we're excited about working together because in order to disrupt apparel, we need to disintermediate um, our, our, our supply chain, our value chain. Uh, and we need to make sure that we have the first principles of, of great margins, uh, of affordable pricing and high quality. And that's that's what we're committed to. So it's it's going to be fun. We're in early days. Um, we're, we're, we're just about to go to to go raise and so uh, but the interest has been there already just because the you know i have a great team so fair enough and i would just like to say on the record that i am indeed wearing pants for this okay so i'm not so it's fine (laughs) um 
All right. Apparel apart, what are the sectors, industries, or verticals that excite you right now specifically? Like, what are the sectors you see kind of shaping the economy of Canada in the coming years? Yeah. So um, I'm excited for the, for a few things. I'm excited about um, uh, biomedical engineering um, and how um, how compute power is redefining how we work on health related issues. Uh, we have three health streams at CDL. Uh, we have uh, biomedical engineering, cancer, and uh, advanced therapies. Um, if ever you want to feel inadequate, hang around with some of the PhDs that talk about this kind of stuff. If you're just a stretchy clothes guy like me, but uh, you know that computational power is allowing for uh, new uh, new cures and vaccines to come much more rapidly than ever before. Uh, and there's a lot of incredible technologies coming down the pipe, um, and and that's super exciting. Um, you know, I see I see a lot of uh, uh, of cool tech in um, uh, well, we have really cool stuff in in, in fighting the uh, climate action, uh, fighting the climate crisis, uh, advanced materials, uh, circular economy stuff, sequestration. Um, that's super exciting to me because, in fact, we're hosting a climate summit in September uh, uh, that um, is going to talk about the the business opportunity that is the 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 the, the climate crisis. It's a multi trillion dollar opportunity, and I think if we frame it like that, then it gets business interests involved. And if business interests involved, and the government's ears perks up, uh, and if it's about shaping consumer behavior, I think that's inherent in young people, but as long as it's done well, you know, uh, but that's a, a, the next big mega category and it's impacted all of our streams here. Uh, the reason we started a CDL mineral stream, which is for innovation in, in mining and minerals is because in our climate stream in the last couple of years, we've, we've, we've seen more and more uh, urban mining, um, e-waste mining, uh, asteroid mining for critical minerals that is really game changing uh, and allows us ask us to access to new technologies um, and um, can support like te technology prog progress as we move forward. So those are things I think I'm most excited about. Um, you know, given my background, I, I'm going to stick to the apparel industry myself just because that's where I play. But, you know, it's uh, it's cool to see all this this cool new tech coming down the pipe. All I'm saying is PhDs need stretchy pants when they're doing five-hour surgeries too. So you're planning them, them and doctors. Everybody needs stretchy pants, man. You, you can eat uh, an extra potato at, at dinner and not worry about it. You know, That's who doesn't right. want an extra potato? That's right. Um, looking around the room, so I do see some SaaS companies. I see some fintech, some some crypto companies. Uh, I'm trying to go through the list. Some ed tech. Um, let's talk a little bit more about kind of your work with CDL. Um, um, obviously, you know, you were busy enough and you decided to join them back a, a couple of years back. Um, what was your kind of passion for, for, you know, collaborating with them the, at the beginning? And I think more importantly, like how can those listening kind of, you know, learn more about this and what's sure. the kind of proper way to take a step in? Okay. So I described what CDL is. We're, we're a matching mechanism. We host five one day pop-up events over the course of an academic year. 
Uh, we're actually in the middle of recruitment right now. We speak to about five to 700 ventures for every 100 that apply to get 20 positions in each technology stream. So we have very pre-vetted. Uh, we, uh, we do tech assessments we're using our scientists and investigators uh, to make sure that by the time it gets into the lab, it's it's fairly vetted from and it's the right stage. So what is that right stage? Pre-seed, seed, uh, ventures, um, and every industry is kind of different. You could be in revenue. You might be a pilot. You might be an MVP. You might still be a science project. Uh, you might be, if you're, uh, uh, you know, therapies or, or medical, you might be at mouse trials, not yet at human trials. But the common thing is that you likely have not much institutional money in yet. Uh, you probably don't have a structured board of directors uh, that is in full control of the of, of the company uh, because boards of directors were a mentorship program. So the board's already in charge, then mentors are kind of, you know, not helpful. Uh, and um, and you can benefit from the mentorship uh, that happens in the room. And so if you go to creativedestructionlab.com and click on any of our sites and streams, you get to see who our mentors are. Uh, and if you're excited about being mentored by these and possibly having checks written by these people, because we have VCs in the room and a lot of our mentors write checks, seed checks, then it could be the program for you. So there's some kind of inflection point that happens in the nine-month program for your technology or your company that you can also benefit from mentorship and you might be seeking financing. Uh, and uh, uh, that's that's the right fit. There's always exceptions. Um, and another thing is you might find that there's a lot of crossover between our technology streams. And that's true. Uh, we have six here. Calgary has a prime general technology streams, energy and ag. Uh, a lot of those crossover with our minerals and our, and our, uh, climate. Right. And so the way we, we think about that is what's best for the venture that's applying. Who, who do they want to be mentored by? Who is their client base? And where do they want to apply? Because if you get offers for more than one CDL site, the venture decides which, which one is best for them. Uh, we have AI streams out east uh, in Montreal and Toronto, but everything is AI now, right? And so uh, every I'm sure every one of our minerals streams are going to have some AI component or most, right? And so you can't, it's like saying mobile these days. You can't avoid it. And so... Um, uh, so that's that's what I would say. You know, um, is that is that enough? Is that enough for for that that question? Yeah, I think so. And if there's specific people with specific questions, they can feel free to pile them in. Um, just to clear things up a little bit. So, so my understanding is there's multiple multiple chapters in in different places across yes. Canada. Do the folks need to be living in those places already, or expected to move for the program? No, no, it's nothing like that at all. We're not an incubator and accelerator. And so we have no office space. We have no fixed programming. We're just five one-day pop-up events. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, uh, so here at CDL Vancouver, uh, we have three in-person events. And so there needs to be a commitment to come to those three in-person events. Uh, the fourth session is online. And then the fifth is super session, which often happens in Toronto. Uh, and that happens in June. So every six to eight weeks, there's a new session. Uh, and that's all that you need to physically attend. Um, we're geographic agnostic. Only 40% of our ventures are Canadian. We, you think of us in the innovation uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem as the tip of the spear. 
We support the launch academies. We support the Springs. We support E at UBC. We support Hatch by taking the, the, the highest potential or the best fit ventures and helping them to accelerate uh, through our mentorship. Uh, so we work collaboratively with all the ecosystem stakeholders. Uh, and, and that's an important distinction uh, to say. So there's five across Canada. Uh, there's three in America. There is four in Europe. And we just announced today University of Melbourne, Monash, uh, Monash University in Melbourne as our newest site. Um, and they'll start with a prime stream in, in, in September. So um, you can apply to anyone as long as you can physically attend. And some of the streams are two in-person, two virtual uh, many are three in person this year. Uh, during COVID, we were all virtual, but now we're coming back. Uh, the, there is a lot of benefit to being face to face in this program. It is much better experience for all the ventures, for sure. But would you argue that it's it's more important to find the stream that you know is more relevant to your yes. to your type versus location? Like even if it is yeah. Melbourne, and obviously we're all halfway across the world, but that's the stream you need. Yes, All right. I, I absolutely agree. And if you go to CDL and the website that Sam just posted, um, you can look at all the streams and sites and locations, and and you can learn a little bit more about what those sites and streams are. Uh, if you're confused by it, you're certainly uh, you, you can re reach out to anybody and uh, uh, on on the site and 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 inquire. And certainly, you can reach out to me enough if you have questions, and I can introduce you to members of my team. So. For sure. And um, very practical question. When is the due date for the upcoming applications? July 28th is our due date. First round of submissions. A lot of applications are pouring in right now. If you need support, reach out to me. Uh, creative destruction. Uh, that's my email address here. You can reach out to me for questions and I can refer you. Um, we we basically do our selection in August, September. Uh, there's an interview process late October, late August selection in September for October. October 25, 26, 27 is our first sessions. We're kicking it off with an um, innovation in minerals and mining conference. And then we have two days of sessions at the Vancouver Convention Center. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I answered your question. Perfect. Yeah. So for those that are listening to this on playback or in a podcast later, um, why not get in on this live? You can do so by getting a Launch Academy uh, membership at launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. Um, obviously, folks that are here live get, get a leg up on this. So it's more encouragement for, for you to kind of come out to these sessions. Uh, Daryl, there's just a couple more more kind of strangling questions that I'll kind of, kind of, kind of squeeze in here as we, we're closing up. Uh, one of them is, what do you think of the uh, potential digital apparel, for example, mm -hmm. designing clothes and AR, VR, extended reality avatars, uh, that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm big on it. I'm big on the future. I've been pitching it for five years. Uh, it's now, I, I believe it's going to be commoditized. Uh, Google's kicking tires on it already. They're just going to get better. I've seen mm, six to eight of these companies already. None of them have been able to be funded uh, I've talked to one last week that is looking for funding. Um, I do think it's the future. I think it's important. Um, and I think it's part of the disintermediated value chain moving forward. Um, the problem compute, uh, compute power, um, is still the problem because accuracy gets to 97%. 
And then the question is, do you want a hyper-realistic avatar or do you want measurement accuracy? And that's a tricky compute balance. Um, I think it's being resolved now, but um, 97% is not good enough uh, for for accuracy of uh, apparel. And and another question here regarding the, the CDL streams. If they are... You know, for example, they're doing fintech that that's using AI technology or, or something like that, and they happen to be in two different streams. I don't know if that's a good example, but like, what should kind of guide them on where they should apply? You, you don't have to guess. You know, you, you you can apply with multiple choices, and then the conversations and the interviews can help guide it further. So you don't have to do that decision alone. It's also not. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's also not that bad if you pick a site at, at, for the application process and then change your mind that that's that's not an issue at all um i think um the way to look at it as this you're probably multifaceted as entrepreneurs and can can overlap across different verticals uh and maybe different technologies or have components that are different technologies that cross across multiple streams where where's your biggest hope for mentorship in what context if you're not a data scientist, maybe it's going in the AI stream to really enhance the, the data perspective of your business model. But if you're a data scientist, but you really need access to the hospital system or, you know, um, any regulatory bodies or customers for pilots, then choose that vertical. So th those are the lenses that you need to consider in the context of choosing a stream. Uh, Oftentimes, you're not going to make the wrong choice, and it's an iterative process based on the the, the whole application process. What I would say is, uh, can uh, submit uh, a thoughtful and considered application. Uh, divulge as much as you are willing to divulge. Uh, if you're saying if uh, your whole thing is it's secret, it's secret trade secret, I'm not telling you. Then you're you're maybe not the right personality to accept mentorship. Right. Um, if if you're not willing to partner in with the program, you're only going to get out what you put in. Um, so, you know, consider that read through the application forms, but uh, spend time on the CDL site, spend time, uh, spend time following uh, this various CDL sites on on social, usually LinkedIn and uh, seeing what they're posting, who they're celebrating and then you know, if you look at the mentors that you'd really love to learn from, then uh, that could help with your decision making. Okay. Of all the things to worry about, that shouldn't be the top of the list. Fair enough. One last question here, and that's more about your experience at UBC. Um, obviously, you know, working with universities, different different education institutes, um, that's really important to the success of many startups. And obviously, even looking at looking at CDL and their partnership with Rotman's and, and your your participation at UBC. Um, what are your kind of recommendations on how to connect to whether it's like research labs or even like, for example, your students, like what's the best way to to work with folks like this in the kind of the next generation of, of builders and, and, and creators? Um, look for right now, that's a different answer than what I'll give maybe six months from now. Um, and I'll tell, tell you why. But for now, look for the programs. Um, UBC, if there's some affiliation to anything, UB, UB, uh, UBC, UBC is pretty helpful in getting into the ecosystem um, and other incubators on on site. Um, for for CDL, just just reach out and and have a conversation. For all the other labs, 
Uh, and, you know, um, we have things like Triumph and Quantum Matter Institute and Bioproducts Institute and Emerging Media Labs and all these really cool things happening on campus that nobody knows about. Because UBC has not been fantastic at conveying actually all the cool research that we actually do here. Uh, but there is a conversation about evolving that and changing that and creating a new mechanism for engagement. Uh, if CDL is the tip of the spear, you know, where we're really accelerating the the, the highest potential uh, best fit ventures uh, across our ecosystem and the broader ecosystems. Uh, everything else that preps for a CDL, all the incubation, all the um, uh, IP support, all the other stuff for researchers, I think uh, can needs to get to the next level. I think SFU does a great job in uh, a single-minded approach to innovation and translation uh, of science and technology into commercial entities. And UBC is great at research and hasn't historically been great at translation. Uh, uh, not enough anyways. And so I think there's an effort from the vice president of research innovation to change that. I know that's a topic of conversation. I think six months from now, it's going to be quite clear that there's a new innovation strategy at UBC that allows a lot of stakeholders, uh, to, um, a lot of stakeholders to actually, um, come together. And, you know, I'm sitting like right here in the office I'm in. They're building a new solder building. An entire floor is going to be the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center. That is a physical connection place for the entire ecosystem, UBC and beyond. Uh, that's the intention. An entire floor dedicated to bringing co-founders together, stakeholders together. You know, uh, Leo's wife at the QMI uh, is uh, it, it will be there. You know, lots of people will come together and, um, you know, um basically connect uh and and try and translate and do some cool things from an entrepreneurship innovation perspective awesome thank you so much daryl for your time i feel like we could have gone on for another hour easily but i gotta get let you get back to 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 your day jobs um looking forward to to the stretchy pants and and maybe next time i see you i'll be in a stretchy suit um but really appreciate your time and and i know everybody that's listening here live um really appreciates it as well um, the playback will be on in just a couple of days. And then if you guys are listening on the podcast, make sure to subscribe and, and uh, so you can get caught up on the next ones. Thank you very much, everyody. Thanks, right, everybody. Take care. take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Launch AMA, a podcast that's part of the Launch Academy network of podcasts. If you like what you heard, give us a follow on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Launch Academy HQ. You might also like our other podcasts, Bits and Bytes and Founder Journey. This episode was hosted by Sam Chan and produced by Samson Lee. Learn more about what we do here at Launch Academy by going to launchacademy.ca. Consider joining our Launchpad program by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. That's launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. Launch